right, here we are. And we are back for the third outing of Coffee Hour podcast. How are you? All good. Welcome back. Uh, how was your day? My day was good. So as you know, I had an assessment center pretty much throughout the whole day. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm feeling quietly confident, but I don't want to sound like a twat if I don't have it next week when you ask me. <laughs> so yeah, that's all I'm going to say on that topic. I'm feeling quietly confident. How about you? That's the spirit, man. That's the spirit. Yeah, I'm I'm doing that uni life at the moment. I'm living the student life, living the dream at the moment. Quite busy with. Have you connect? Have you collected your some of the yet? projects? And yeah, mostly that does not does not help the headache. Hello. 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 Oh God. Have you cut out? Oh my God. <laughs> What have you done? Hello? Are you back? You jinxed it. What have you done? <laughs> there have been zero issues for the hour I've been home. Oh I my didn't even think about God. it. God, that's brilliant. That's fantastic. I'm keeping that in. Yeah. <laughs> I'm keeping that in. I'm just, we, listen, we can just cut it out. So actually, let's keep this in. Yes. Yeah, so... For listeners, I cut out, my internet cut out 40 seconds in. Oh, that's brilliant. I told, I told it, I told you before, before recording, I was like, is your internet all good? And you're like, it's, it's perfect. Couldn't be any better. This is a classic example of something being jinxed because it was genuinely good for about an hour. And of course I had, I wasn't even thinking about my internet. I was like, yeah, you know, I'm looking at the bars right now and it's on three bars out of four. Like it's good. And then you yeah. just come out of nowhere and you bring it up and I disconnect. I'm telling you, maybe I can see the future. I didn't hear your answer about how are you, by the way, because that's when I cut out. Oh, fair enough. No, so I was just saying that I'm living the student life at the moment. Just very busy, final year at uni, just, you know, dissertation, everything. Um, yeah, that's pretty much it, to be honest. Not much. It's just too chaotic at the moment. Don't know how things are going. Hopefully it goes well, but it's just too much you know what it is it's like when it started the first two weeks you're like okay i'm on top of everything everything's under control and then suddenly you're in week four and you're like wait what what just happened why am i behind like you've been doing all the work and you're like what happened it flies by but as long as you're on top of it like you said you were you'll be good and listen are you collecting your uni pension yet of course we all know for people who don't know i'm basically retired that's it that's it. I'm done. I'm done working, and I've escaped the loop. What? Why do you? Why do you have to work thirty years to get pension? I, I, I've escaped the loop. There's something here. You you don't need to work thirty years to get pension. Just get it. I think it's more like forty five years. But I mean, if you're working thirty years and you've got a pension, then that's great for you. I mean, you're listen. You're going to get it at three years apparently. So that's how we do it. Good job there. Good job there. <laughs> Should we get straight into the first thing that we want to talk about today? All right, let's do this. And that is, is this the first time we're talking about a specific football team? I think it is. Well, um, not, not any specific football team, the football team. The football team, you're absolutely right. We're going to be talking about the mighty Tottenham Hotspur and their injury woes. So a little bit of context. Spurs are currently flying in the Premier League, despite having two losses in a row. Don't let that fool you. They're doing very well. I actually don't know where they are on the table. I think they're definitely top four, I think. Anyway, yeah, I think we're third right now. Very good. So James Madison, our midfield maestro, out until the new year. Richarlison, 
up top, out for a month or two. And Mickey van der Ven, flying start in the Premier League as a central defender, out for one month. So initially hearing that, without getting too deep into analysis, what are your thoughts on how this leaves us going into the next few months? Because these are, well, bar Richarlison, that depends how you would argue it. James Madison and Mickey van der Ven are very important players. So what do you think that, what impact do you think that will have on the team over the next, let's say, 10 games? Um, well, it definitely won't be a positive impact. Like there's no scenario where you look at it and you'd be like, okay, it's better for us now. Like never. There's So to be realistic, it, it's not much positive, but we could take positives away from it. So we could say, okay, now we have, to substitute a lot of people, try out different different tactics, try out different stuff. But to be to be honest, I don't necessarily see a positive because, like, if you take away like a main player from a team, or just any team, if you take away the main player, it's like they have to come up with different strategy. Now, I think that adds more tools to the Arsenal when it comes to the long run. So whenever all these players are back, we still have other tactics, which we've, we had to try. We were forced to try. Maybe when they were still playing, we didn't have to force it. Like we could have just stick with them. But now we are forced to try different tactics. Yeah. For one moment there, I thought you mixed up Tottenham Hotspur FC with Arsenal. And I was thinking, hold on a minute. We're going to have a completely different conversation here. Oh, no. How, how could you even mix the two? Obviously, we're talking about top of the food chain. And then you got Arsenal, if you know what I mean. Well, I think Arsenal fans would have a different opinion. But to answer your points, I think, yes, I more so it is going to be a, a change of personnel. That's true. I think the philosophy of the manager um, is, is going to be, Ange Postacoglu is going to want to stick with the way that he plays. And that will mean that certain players will have to play out of position, uh, which will not suit them at all. And it's just a question of whether we can grind results as a result of that. I think that will come down to the resilience of the team. I think there's a very good team spirit there. So I'm hoping that it pans out. Um, I'm also hoping that these guys come back because they have been incredible the first 12 games. And of course, uh, two weeks ago on Monday, we capitulated against Chelsea. And without these players, you know, at night with nine men, it was a disaster class. There, there are clearly gaping holes of quality missing when these players are not playing. So it will be interesting to see how we do over the next, I don't know, 10, 12 games up to a new year period and beyond without them. Um, the club certainly has momentum right now. That's for sure. And yes, okay, we've moved down to, as you said, we're currently third. Yes, we've moved down to there and we were top for a while. Um but you've got to think, like, no one expected this at the start of the season. You lose your best player. Um, you've got a manager who's never managed in the Premier League before. It was quite a wild card, to be honest. And we've exceeded yeah. expectations. I think if you told anyone over the summer that we would be in this position where we are now, I think they would bite your hand off. So, uh, yeah, I was going to say, this is probably our best season. But during the recent time i mean in terms of like entertaining entertaining football it's been the best season that i can remember in years i mean mm -hmm. fossil football under jose Mourinho, antonio conte nuno espirito sante it football is entertainment at the end of the day and that was anything but entertaining so at least we have a manager who 
understands what football is from the fan experience. At the same time, playing really beautiful football, really good attacking football. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And it gives us a competitive chance in whatever competitions that we're in. What, what do you think makes all these players get an injury? Do you think now that they know this is a strong season for them, they're train, training much more, or they're more motivated, which causes them to sometimes overtrain or get injured? It's certainly, you could argue, it could be a case of, and I don't think this is the leading point, but it, yes, it could be a case of, they're over-motivated and they might go into tackles more rashly um, because they just have that adrenaline. I think actually what it's more so is the game schedule. I think footballers have to play so many more games nowadays than they used to in previous seasons. Yeah. And also with the style of football that Tottenham are playing, it's quite aggressive. Um, it requires a lot of athleticism. And I think that takes its toll on uh, athletes' bodies. So in terms of like, injuries in general this is not something that's just going to be specific to Tottenham I think we saw it last season as well with uh, Liverpool for example where you're going to have a lot of players just dropping out due to injury just fatigue related injuries um, hamstring injuries it, it's going to happen it's a consequence of a much more packed calendar and that's just the direction that football's going in general I don't think the players have a lot of control over that yeah, over overtraining is a bit. I I'd like to say this that people underestimate your the physical the shape you have to be in to play football. I personally think I come from a sport which requires obviously top fitness, top notch, and everything. But I remember we played football in New Forest in July together. It wasn't even like a proper football match. We were just you know passing the ball around and stuff like that. And that was pretty much right after a training camp I had. So that was pretty much a month after I had a fight. So I was then I left somewhat, but I was still somewhat of a decent shape. And I remember playing it for like, how long they were playing for? 10 minutes? Oh, no, minutes. Come on. We, we were playing longer than that. Yeah, but like we kept like swapping. Like I kept going in the goal, like just standing there for like five minutes. And then I kept like running again. Do you know what I mean? I wasn't nonstop running for like an hour. Well, not to name names, but certain people were quote unquote <laughs> exhausted after five, 10 minutes. That, that, was, that was a sight to behold. Yeah, that, that was incredible. I, to see. I completely agree with what you're saying. I know you haven't finished your point. I'll probably finish it for you. But like mm -hmm. I've, um, you know, I do cardio. And yeah. even though football is a cardio in itself. Oh, it's, it's completely different. It's, really is exhausting and i think i wonder why that is i think you're using your feet more um you're also thinking more it is it is interesting what do you think well yeah i think well first of all it's very high paced in terms of like you go from a zero to 100 real quick so if you if you see the ball there you're not going to slowly jog into the ball you're going to go from being stationary to running as fast as you can so your heart is going to go from like like normal heartbeat to like like 120 150 and that's what actually is that's what gets you tired and also the physical part of it is very under underestimate like people underestimate how tired you get after just being physical with someone even if you look at like wrestling like if you just grab someone and like just try to push each other back and forth it takes you less than 30 seconds to get tired and i think in football that's kind of overlooked because there's a lot of a lot of times where like the players like just pressing against each other and then it's just a force the resistance it's it's actually it it's good like it gets you tired but i understand how they get their legs injured so much because 
they're working too much. Those legs are just running nonstop. And then you assume, because they're not just, they're not just running. I assume they do weights. Like these are professional footballers, of course. And I assume they do all types of training and they try to take care of their body as much as they can. Well, if you would look at the average distance run per player in a Premier League match, you would probably find they are running 10K. And so they're doing mm -hmm. 10K over 90 minutes, which yeah, it's not the fastest pace. But like you said, you have to take into account the sprints and whatnot. You've also got uh, it is a physical sport. It's a contact sport. So you've got tackles and whatnot. Um, and you have the ball element. You've got a football pitch. You've got the ball element. It's easy to trip up, get your feet tangled. So there are lots of accidental injuries. But I agree, it's, it's an extremely intense physical contact sport. And you're right when you say that people perhaps underestimate the toll that it takes on players. But paradoxically, I don't think uh, football fans want to really think about that until it happens. You know, they're not watching yeah. the game and getting like really angry that their players have to run this much. They're actually saying run more, you know, so... Yeah, no, I get what you mean. But I mean, the, the the only issue, I guess, would that be the fact that then you would have players getting injured. Who else? We have Neymar, another injury he has right now, which he's out. I think he tore his, I think, meniscus or there's an ACL problem again. And he's had many knee injuries. And you'd see it more when it comes to top level football, because obviously you could tell these guys are just, I don't like to use the term overtraining. They're just, as you said, now the matches are they're scheduled to play much more so it's not it's not even necessarily training they're overplaying sometimes which obviously it causes all these injuries and these injuries have impacts like it depends what your what your injury actually is but not always you'll come back the same that's true because in some ways it's sort of like ptsd if you have got a cruciate ligament injury and you're going into a sprint, a one-on-one, -on -one, you're thinking, shit, what happens if my knee snaps again? Um, so in that sense, like a PTSD and muscle memory of being reluctant to play the way that you used to play. I wonder on Neymar, did you, so did you follow his injury, his recent one? Yeah, so I think it happens in a match, as far as I know. I think he International some... match, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I think it's as far as I know, he obviously his knees have he had problem with his knees, like I think both his knees, but especially like his right leg. Um, but as far as I know, it's just a matter of like, he's out for a year, I believe, because his injury is serious. Like the thing with some of the knee injuries is you can't do anything about it. And I believe even if you, if you don't mind me saying this, I believe even you have a slight knee injury which you know basically what it what it is to go through a knee injury. Knee injuries are very serious and they put you out for a long time if that's if you take care of them. That's You're correct and I do, but but before I get onto that, just to go back to Neymar, I wanted to say, did you see on Twitter, now known as X, um there was a it, so it was an international game. Uh, I think it was Brazil versus another South American team. Yeah. And on the opposition team there was a group of shamans or village people and they were doing some juju shit and they were like poking needles into neymar's knee before the game and guess oh really what yep oh that's mad isn't that just fucking weird that's the crazy. exact same knee that got injured they were doing that that is actually do you believe in those stuff 
I tend like I tend not to, of course not. But then you see something like that, and it makes you question it. It's like, oh god. Exactly. Like some sometimes the math doesn't add up because, like, okay, him getting injured, he could get injured, but the exact same match, the exact same knee. It's like, then you look at it, then you're like, okay, this does not add up. Like, what are the odds? Then again, on Neymar, I don't think um, he's going to be complaining. He's on oh, he an incredibly it. fat wage packet that he loves. I it. mean. He's just on holiday in Saudi Arabia, isn't he? He's not there to play. It's it's actually funny for like every single, I don't want to say every single, for like a lot of these ceremonies, he's just like injured. A lot of these big matches, he's injured and he's on holiday. He's chilling on his yacht sometimes. And there's when was nothing the last he can time do. that guy played? Like apart from this international, when was the last time he played in like a proper football match? <sighs> long ago, must have been. Not long ago, but like, at least six months ago, I think, where he was active. The tragic story of Neymar is that his career in terms of top-level football and being, you know, the next quote-unquote Messi or Ronaldo has ended. And unfortunately, it never happened. Um, and in that in that sense, it, yeah, it is a tragedy. Uh, but nonetheless, extremely talented football player. Just to go back on what you were saying about personal experience from a knee injury, you you know, it, it is tough to go through. Um you do have wobbles here and there, but you know you can't do certain things. So yeah. if we were playing a football match, me and you, and the ball is rolling out to the corner flag, the natural instinct for both of us is to sprint as fast as we can to get that ball and to protect the ball with our body. That's right. I know because of my knee, unfortunately, I cannot sprint towards it. I could do a fast jog to it, but I'd still have to be careful there. So in that sense, it, it does it does eliminate it does eliminate that, that factor of you giving everything you can in a specific sport it, and it's more so that's a question of physically you you can do it but you know it's high risk that it's gonna get injured again exactly. and there is that ptsd element where it's phantom pain you remember the feeling yeah so you're extremely reluctant to do it like if you were to show me some of these horrible you know like these leg breaks in the gym and stuff yeah. on like oh, a leg press horrible. i i sort of feel it when I see them, yeah, and even though it's completely different, it's still a knee injury. I I see it, and it makes me cringe so much. And it gives me I like totally a, get a sense of PTSD. Yeah, God, those are horrible. Th 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 some of them are so bad, and it's like you see them, and yeah, exactly. Even if like you see them on like a bone that even you don't have an injury on, like you, it still makes you feel bad. Like I I saw some of them live from like some of the UFC fights I watched, and then it's like oh. Yeah, it's like the most recent one was, of course, like the Conor McGregor one. But like, it's, those are bad. Like, you do not come back Ooh. the same. Yeah, they're bad. His one, yeah, I remember from the documentary and I remember when it happened. His one is awful because it's like, was it the ankle or the bottom of the leg snaps? And then like... It's the entire shin the, bone, fibula and fibula, oh, both of them. I'm So like to describe it, yeah, the shin bone has snapped and so the bottom half is like hanging to the side yeah. at like a right angle. Yeah, exactly. And then, and then the upper part of the bone, I mean, it didn't come down on the floor like a stump because that would have hurt so much. <sighs> he just fell over. Did he feel it initially? I think he was just shocked. He looked stunned. Well, see that injury happened in the UFC itself. That injury happened three other time. One time to Anderson Silva, one of the greatest of all time. One time to Chris Whiteman. It's actually funny because Chris Whiteman was a guy who did it to Anderson Silva. Well, not did it, but Anderson Silva kicked Chris Whiteman and he broke his leg. And then a few years later, it then happened to Chris Whiteman himself. Which, if you think about the injury only happening three times at a time, 
then you think it's crazy that two of them are these two. Um, Karma. But yeah, literally. But as far as I've seen, the moment it happened to all three of them, they were crying. Like, and then I watched their interview straight away. They were like, the amount of pain was so much, I would have rather died instead of going through it at the initial stage. It's absolutely awful to see. And on the McGregor one, I mean, it, it comes down to an athlete's mentality because wasn't it fractured anyway yeah yeah. it wasn't fully it wasn't fully recovered but given the context of the circumstances and and the fact that he really wanted to fight he had been out of the game i think for a little while um yeah it's just awful i don't recommend anyone watch it by the way if if they haven't seen it it's it's it is very unfortunate so with your one specific do you know which what it was was it the meniscus was it acl was it just the ligaments i believe it was acl yeah okay so you just tore your acl basically i uh, yeah and i remember where it happened it happened at free and bonnet school and it happened playing basketball and oh. actually funny enough i was sprinting after the ball <laughs> and someone was coming at me in the other direction they got there first but they carried on sprinting and my knee got trapped in their oh, legs while they like were sprinting yeah i get what you mean and there was a snap you yeah, could hear the snap pops straight away it pops yeah yep and do you know what they said at free and barnet uh what the school yeah what did they say you'll be all right <laughs> just put an ice pack on it oh that's brilliant was this the pe teacher the same one that was not the no no no. this is even worse this was not the pe teacher this was the medical staff <laughs> at free and barnet you'll be all right just put an ice pack on it and go back to lesson. Uh, well, that's... come home that day. Um, I had to get, I had to go off the bus and get phone my mum to pick me up. I couldn't finish the journey. I couldn't walk home. Um, but got home that day. It ballooned up. A week later, get a scan. Oh yeah, you snapped your ACL. That cool. oh my god, that is ah oh, that. <laughs> um, speaking of that, I've got a quick funny story I'd like to say. One time I was at boxing and I was helping, sometimes I help to coach for, for the for the children's class. Like, not children, like nine-year-old, ten-year-old. Yeah, so children. So we went out to take them for a run. Like, we went to the park that's literally right next to boxing. They went for, like, sprints, I believe. It was either sprints or, like, they just, like, did, like, a lap around the park. <laughs> and... At the end of it, someone came up to us and then she was like, I don't feel well. I feel like I'm going to pass out, etc., etc." And basically the rest of the group went back in. Me, my club captain was there. And, and this person passed out and <laughs> we had no clue what to do. Keep in mind. Okay. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Keep in mind. We, we, we knew what to do, but like. It wasn't anything serious. And then this person passed out. And then what I was doing is I was just asking her about her day, even though she was like out cold. I was just asking her, she was like, what did you have for you lunch? Were, you were basically talking to a corpse. Ba- what basically, did you have for lunch? Like, what- <laughs> let me get this straight. She comes up to you during the running session. She says, I don't feel good. I feel dizzy. And you say, yeah, you'll be all right. And you get back to the club and she's passed out. Oh, on the spot. She was like, she was like, I don't feel good. I don't feel dizzy. As she said that, she went out. And oh, we, had to, we had to hold it and then my captain was there as her and he was just like he didn't know what to do and he was just dancing so she walked back up and then she's looking at this guy just dancing over there and i'm like what did you have for lunch 
And then she was so lost. We ended up giving her a medal at the end, though, for the effort of going through the Okay, so three things here. You have a woman who's passed out, and you're asking her about her lunch. Your club captain is doing Fortnite dances on her (laughs) while she's passed out. And then you give her a participation medal for passing out. Well, but yeah, yeah, somewhat. She earned it. I think that I think that's the correct response. I have to say, very well done. That's so. And I gave it. This was my advice to her, right? I was like, the next time you feel like you're gonna pass out, just don't. Sage magic medical advice. I think you should have become a doctor. I think I was. I deserved the degree. I think they should have just handed it over to me. Shall we pivot to? something that you wanted to talk about which was the live comedy experience in the uk so tell us why you wanted to talk about this okay so i personally like going to comedy shows that being said i've not gone to many that's probably why because i want to talk about this i just feel like in the uk we do not have enough comedy shows enough good quality comedy shows me and you went to one, I believe it was last October. It was Joe Rogan's comedy show in London. He did a tour, I believe. Maybe it was in September, but... And that was perfect. No, it was, it was October. Oh, okay, okay. So yeah, October last year, we went to the O2 Arena in London. And it was just perfect. Everything about it was perfect. Now, obviously, with that, that's a big main comedy show. That's like an arena show. I just like to see more local comedy clubs in London. Just like we have pubs, I'd like I'd like to have pop quiz and I'd like to have a comedy night at pubs. Why not at a comedy night at pubs where you have a local comedian, someone who's genuinely interested in it, someone who wants to grow in it. Instead of having a local instead of having a quiz night, you just have this person do stand-up comedy. Obviously if you don't like, you cannot go. You can go to a different pub. Or you could just have comedy clubs just for that. I think it's something where it's just missing in the UK. What do you think about that? Well, firstly, on Joe Rogan. So that was the first time both of us have been to a live comedy experience before. And it was fantastic. Mm -hmm. Um, Obviously, we are big listeners of Joe Rogan's podcast. In some way, he has inspired us to start this podcast, although we won't give him all that credit (laughs) um, because he's our competitor. Of course. But um, yeah, the experience was fantastic. So he had, I think it was three acts before him. When we got there, you know, there's no mobile phones allowed. So you really are in the moment. And genuinely, the the comedy was very good. So that was a good night out. In terms of what you're saying in uh, in terms of more small scale comedy, like uh, at pubs or like small comedy stores, for example, mm-hmm. I would say, I think they already exist. I'm sure, you know, pubs do comedy nights it's just a question of whether or not there is an audience there and i do think there is an audience there it's just an untapped audience so yeah i would like to you know for example joe rogan has um his own comedy store in austin texas Mm -hmm. now if we think of barnet (laughs) in london i don't think there are any comedy stores here so for example that is somewhere that that I would like to see improvement and for sure we would go there. But at the same time, sort of to counter your point, I would say they already exist in local pubs, for example. It's just a question of whether or not you're actively looking for them. Yeah, that's a good point. But then again, it's a matter of, let's say, how often do we go to the pub? Like once every two weeks, let's say we go to a pub and we, we obviously when we're on form, yeah, yeah. when we're on form once every two weeks, um, 
have we ever we obviously always go to our local pub like we're not gonna say okay boys let's get ready we're gonna go to a pub across london we, unless there's something going on there uh, like a very special pub otherwise it's a local pub like get ready we'll be doing like 30 minutes when did we have the yeah it would yeah sorry to... it would be yeah, go on. it would be a different night out exactly is what exactly. it would be. when when did we have the option to say let's go to a to our same local pub because there's a comedy show that's true never although to be fair our local pub seems the sort of place that could and would do that so like i said i just think the audience is there they just don't know it yet it's one of those scenarios where you you have your product but you just don't know how to advertise it to people and market it to people i'm sure though like people people like joe rogan for example are really good in advocating live comedy experience and it's true if you go to a live comedy show so of course we went to joe rogan and i recently went to russell howard so i've seen a british comedian and i've seen an american comedian and it's so much better in person it is a really good experience how was that in comparison like the american versus British? different humor um russell howard was really really funny possibly probably even funnier than joe rogan but just because um i'm british you know i get the humor more but joe rogan's was more of an experience do you know what i mean and I think that comes, for yeah. example, with going to the O2. It's quite a big venue to go. It is like a proper night out. But that's not to say, though, that uh, Russell Howard was not a night out. It was a good night out. But I think Joe Rogan was more a comedy experience, whereas Russell Howard, it was a smaller audience, and it was just extremely funny. Uh, British humor, humor that I get. It was, yeah, it's a good experience, and it is something that I think we should advocate the live comedy experience over, for example, watching it on Netflix, which is something we can get into as well, because that's also really important. You know, Netflix as a platform for comedians has been fantastic as far as I'm aware. And same with social media too. It's a really good way of getting them out there. Exactly. And just, just to go back to a point, did you watch it at an arena or was that just like a local, like a local theater? It was at a theater on Oxford street. And it's yeah. seated around two to 3,000 people, I believe. Okay, so it's still not a small audience in comparison to obviously O2, which is an arena, obviously, yes. But for a comedy show, that's still a decent, decent number, I'd say. I guess with comedy, like you want, you want to feel as in your, as if you're in on it. Um, and that's why like these, these shows, which are done at, you know, 2,000, 3,000 seater venues, are really good like i said i've only done one of them at that sort of venue and i'd love to do more and i'm sure i will do more um it's just a different experience it's like watching <laughs> it's like watching a film on your smartphone or watching at the cinema it's, it's different yeah exactly and i agree with the social media part as well there's this comedian i believe he's well he's a scouser so i believe he's from liverpool uh i sent you some of his clips his name is Paul Smith, shout out to that man. I, I love his, I love his comedy. I think we should definitely go to that one and give the feedback here. But like, he does a great job of marketing himself on social media. Like, I, I believe he started proper marketing himself during COVID or like just before COVID. Um, and then during COVID, what he would do is he would have like a very small audience in front of him, but he would record it and he would have it in all different platforms so it's still a way of because he interact like there's a conversation going on between him and the audience it's not him standing just talking giving the backstory it's and i love those type of comedies where there's talks where they involve people in the front row second row third row 
Um, but yeah, I believe he's doing like a really good job of advertising himself and sharing comedy on social media. So does Andrew Schultz, to be fair. I, I don't know if you've seen Andrew Schultz uh, Twitter page or sorry, Instagram page. He does a really good job of putting his comedy out there. It's like a teaser. He doesn't give away the thing, but it's like you want to know what's what's after that. I actually, you've brought up Andrew Schultz a few times, so I know the name, but I never check. In terms of what you were saying with the Scouse comedian, um, it comes back to the factor that a lot of entertainers nowadays are brands themselves. And so you do have to, you have to learn on the job how to market yourself. And social media is incredibly good for that, these short clips. But his style of comedy is different. So there are subsets, you know, he, he more so focuses on involving the audience, which some people will love some people will hate usually the really funniest clips are the ones where someone's in the front row and they really don't want to be there yeah exactly. which you know you you have to ask you have to ask yourself like okay well you don't want to be there but why are you there and more importantly why are you in the front row like you must know that this is his style of comedy um they're really funny does he only does he only perform in liverpool no so basically he's got a it's not just him they've got a comedy club in Liverpool, which it's him and two, three other guys. I don't want to try to name them because I don't know their full names. And every weekend they have shows. And basically that's the whole point of it. The whole point is to just go on stage, just talk with people, make fun, uh, make fun of people, make fun of yourself, have fun, basically. Um, he does tours as well. I believe he had one in London in August, I believe. I'm not sure about that. But as far as I know, he does do tours. Not international at the moment. I believe he's only like in the UK. But he's he's great. I, I love him. But Andrew Schultz as well, I recommend I recommend watching some of his clips if if you don't know him. Andrew Schultz is amazing. I love Andrew Schultz comedies. I've seen that he's been on Joe Rogan a few times, but like I said, I've just never checked it out. I'm just thinking, like, should we do a lad's trip to Liverpool? It must it must be done. We need to do this. Because we have two options. We can either wait for him to come to London, but we've done comedy in London, or do we use it as an excuse to go somewhere else? I, I think we can use it as an excuse, you know, because it's a comedy club as well. I'd like to go to... I've never been to a comedy club. Would you survive Liverpool? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I love the Scousers. Come you talk, on. You talk too much. I know, but I, I, I know how to, how to handle the Scousers. I know how to handle the Scousers. Okay, we, we will look into it. We'll just say we're friends with Paddy Pimblin and Darren Till. We shall look into it. And then I'll forget to look into it. Oh, yeah, that's definitely going to happen. Shall we move on to the Marvels? Yes, let's do that. We're watching that this Saturday. We are watching it this Saturday, and we're not going to give a review of the Marvels. But what we did want to talk about was... I mean, these are pretty good numbers, but in terms of Marvel, these are not good numbers. It's disappointing $47 million debut at the US box office, making it the lowest MCU opening title to date. What do we think of that? I, My original thoughts looking at that was they're just trying to just like extend what's already dead. I think after Endgame... They killed every story related to that. Every character, every story kind of died with it. Not literally, but like the character. Just like because that, that was literally the end game. So just anything after that is unnecessary. You either bring them all back or we already know what's going to happen. 
with the marvels it it looks very appealing which is to me that's very interesting because if you watch the trailer like you genuinely would be interested to watch the film that's as long as you're somewhat of a marvel fan at least but I, I don't know what it has. Like, what do you think? Do you think that's poor advertisement? But then again, Marvel doesn't really do poor advertisement. I would have to disagree with you on the trailer. I think the trailer is playing on nostalgia. And the first time I watched it, I was thinking, okay, this looks like a Marvel film, but what is this film actually about? In terms of, like, why this film has... I Again, I'm going to say bad but it's not let's listen 47 million dollars domestically is good number but in terms of the film business and in terms of these specific films the marvel films um it is the lowest number so it's poor i think fundamentally we're going through a phase of superhero fatigue and whether or not it is chronic i'm not sure but i think the root cause is like you said because of endgame and this thing they created called the multiverse now, this thing called the multiverse removes any emotional stake you have in a story because it means if a character dies, they can just bring them back 10 years later. So what is the point? Why am I watching this? Why am I getting invested in these characters if they're just going to come back in 10 years with a different actor or even the same actor? If yeah. there is no emotional stake in your storytelling, well your film is not going to be compelling and people are not going to want to show up and watch it. Yeah, that that's somewhat that's somewhat true because it, yeah, exactly, it just takes away the point of taking that character away or killing that character because you could literally just bring him back. So do you think that plays a factor as to why it it's done that low? Once again, it's not low, it's just compared to the other films. I think it has done that low partially because of that. I think Captain Marvel was a novelty when it came out because it was the first female-led um, MCU film. And now there are so many different female-led MCU characters and, and films and TV shows that it's no longer a novelty. And more importantly, I don't think people like me understand what this film is about or are invested in this phase of storytelling. You know, they're probably sitting at home and thinking, what is the point of coming up and, and watching this and, and showing up and watching this? Um, I've been clocked out for the last few films is probably what they're thinking. They're probably they're probably the type of individual who's watched Guardians of the Galaxy 3 because the first two were good and the third one's relatively good. But they're looking at films like the Marvels, like the Eternals, and they're thinking this is just a complete waste of time. And let's not even get started on Ant-Man Quantumania because, I mean... <laughs> $250 million. Just watch the trailer and think about that. Have that number in your head and watch the trailer. That's all you need to do. There's some hardcore Marvel fans out there. If if you had to say, what was the last good Marvel film regarding this universe, not like the other universes, regarding this universe, which one would you say was the last good and successful Marvel film? Well, I think it's important to say that Loki has been a really big success mm -hmm. uh, from a storytelling standpoint and also from a viewership standpoint. So there are ups and downs. I would say actually it would come this year and it would be Guardians of the Galaxy 3. It's one of the most successful films of the year. Personally, did I think it was the best one? No, I, I would say it's the worst one, um, but they're three good films. The problem that they're having right now um, in terms of the Marvel Cinematic Universe is you have one quote-unquote hit, Guardians of the Galaxy 3, 
and you have pre as a predecessor one flop, one misfire, Ant Man Quantum Mania, then you might have another flop and another success. So it's up and down. And we've been so used to seeing, I would say, over those first three phases, so up to endgame, just continuous upward trend of success. Yeah, constant. And now it's like up, down, up, down. And that's a case of fatigue from your audience, but your audience is not going to get fatigued if the storytelling is good. If the storytelling is repetitive, if you have this thing called the multiverse, which removes all emotional stakes, you're not going to have a compelling narrative that people want to invest in. And so that is why we are seeing such mixed results. A film like Guardians of the Galaxy has a heart to its story, and that's why it's done well, and people are investing in that trilogy. Something like, you know, um, the Marvels, well, we don't even really know these characters. Two of them are from a, from TV shows, which not a lot of people have watched. So yeah, definitely. That's, there's just that element of like the unknown fatigue, lack of emotional core to the storytelling. I think it all builds up. As I said, though, I mean, listen, 47 million at, at the domestic box office. We can probably assume that the budget is 200 million. And so in terms of box office, it will, it will, trump its budget it will probably make 400 to 500 million but it is still nonetheless disappointing from the mcu standpoint well it's just a matter of keeping their fans at some point with the guardians of the galaxy with the third one wasn't uh, so spoiler free regarding endgame obviously this is spoiler regarding that but it's happened what two three years ago didn't that character what was what was the name of was it gamora the green one yeah, I know where you're going with this. Yeah, yeah. so didn't that character d essentially die in the end? Or it might have been Infinity War. Didn't that character die in that movie? So how was she a part of Guardians of the Galaxy, the third one? So yes, very good point. Gamora was in the third Guardians of the Galaxy. And I remember watching it and thinking, why is she here? Wasn't she dead? Mm -hmm. So, I mean, this creates a problem. Uh, it, it shows you how the multiverse is flawed when characters are coming back. It's not even explained why they're back, why they're coming back. And she really doesn't add a lot to the, the emotional stakes within the guardians of the galaxy three. She had a good ending. You don't need to bring every single character back. You can allow certain characters to die. It's okay. If you just keep bringing characters back, people are not going to be invested in your story because they've seen it all before. So wait, spoiler alert, was this a case of them bringing her back from the dead? Or was it just a case of this movie taking place before she actually dies? This was a case of bringing her back from the dead. And I can't even tell you how they did it. My assumption would be that it's probably Gamora from Solar System 2671 or something stupid like that. <laughs> Yeah, that's, that's exactly the point you were trying to make earlier as well, that it just takes away the value because you're like, okay, then why did she die in the end game now? Like that just takes that away. A bigger question is when it pops up on the screen and it says multiverse 1,227, you're thinking, why is there 1,227 uh, multiverses? Like what? Why, why that number? It's just confusing. It's, yeah, it's like, Taking the character away in a big film and then realizing, or not realizing, obviously they probably knew in advance, and then knowing that, okay, well, this series, this branch would not have as much success 
without that character because that character is part of the group. But as you mentioned, obviously, I've not seen it. But as you mentioned, she didn't even play a big factor in it. So it wouldn't have made a difference if she wasn't in it. Also, I think a problem with this phase of storytelling is who is the villain? Now, I know who the overarching villain is, but could you answer that question? I doubt it. I don't don't know how many of the MCU films you've seen. The villain is someone called Kang, and Kang was introduced in Loki, the television show. Now, like I said, successful show, well-reviewed, well-watched, but not everyone has a Disney Plus subscription. Not everyone's watching that. And so this interconnected nature of all these stories is also something that works against them, especially when the films are repetitive, dull, and damn straight fucking pointless, like Ant-Man, Mania. No one's going to be watching it. And it means that the whole storyline, you're out of sorts with it because you haven't, you've missed a piece of the puzzle. So you have no idea what is going on. These films are so interconnected like that. The storytelling has been so mediocre it is just a shambles. It needs a reset is what it needs. Yeah. So there's this, um, speaking of the, them introducing the villain and Loki, there's this theory that they're saying that what they're trying to do with this new phase is rather than have the infinity stones. So you see how in the last one, they had these infinity stones, which would give them powers like time. So they're trying to make people into infinity. So there's not going to be any stone. There's just going to be specific characters just going to have that power that the infinity stone possessed. just hearing that gave me a headache <laughs> what what are you talking about making people infinity so stones. for example uh spoiler alert once again have you seen loki chapter two or season two i have not have you no but i know the ending did you oh okay well don't spoil it because i might watch it eventually. okay well okay i'll give you the one that's already there uh, what's the name of that female with the uh, is it wandavision yeah, What's the that's also a good What's series. I know you have opinions on that and you disagree with me, but that's also a good series. Controversial. So for example, her, that's one of the cases of there used to be an Infinity Stone. Now she has the power of that Infinity Stone. So it's not that she has an Infinity Stone and she she has the power. It's like she is kind of the Infinity Stone. Do you know what I'm trying to say? That is such dull storytelling. I mean, they really must be <laughs> desperate. They've pivoted from Infinity Stones to making people Infinity Stones. It's like color coordinated. They probably had a chart in front of them and they just thought, hmm, what's the easiest solution we can do for our next phase? Ah, we'll put the Infinity Stone, instead of on a little gauntlet on their hand, we'll actually put it inside them so they become the Infinity Stone. Is that not repetitive in itself? That is repetitive. Well, I agree. This this might be the marketing strategy they had, though. Like one of our points down here, which we're going to get into right now is which you wanted to talk about is like how, like, for example, a game like Fortnite has had the highest player rate out of any other game recently due to bringing back the original map. So maybe even with Marvel, what they're trying to do is bring back. OK, they obviously can't go back and show the same film again, but they have to bring back the same pattern or they're trying to bring back but with just a slight adjustment to it, which, I mean, doesn't sound appealing to me. The comparison, though, would be that Fortnite is looking backwards in order to move forwards, but over the years, their iterations of what they've been doing as a platform, but also the Battle Royale map, has always evolved. And so there is a continuing story, which I haven't followed, and there are different maps that is all different, and it has a narrative arc. Whereas Marvel 
in a last-ditch attempt to try and save their box office figures, are going, shit, okay, we need to bring Tony Stark back. And you're thinking, why? It doesn't yeah. make any storytelling sense. Whereas I think with something like Fortnite, it's like it's tapping into something that people actually want. That's the crucial point, actually. Who has asked for these characters to come back or supposedly come back? No one's asked for them to come back. Whereas I think Fortnite OG, for example, has been so successful because there's been an actual desire for that to come back. I don't necessarily think it was the case of people asking like them to bring him back. I think it was just a case of people saying it used to be better times when they were around. And obviously, what do they think? They're like, okay, we'll just bring them back. Do you know what I'm trying to say? Yeah, I have, just to sort of provide context to all my criticism, I have no doubt that the Marvel executives are in in a stage where they're just as planned as they were, you know, from phase one to three, for example. The fundamental issue is that the quality of storytelling has just not been good enough. And also, of course, after Endgame, you have the introduction of television shows, which are part of the timeline, and that convolutes it a bit. So you're now asking your audience, you're, you're now asking more from your audience. You're saying, you need to watch this TV show. And from a business point of view, financially, in theory, it would make sense because you're driving you know, Disney Plus subscribers, for example. But that does lead to fatigue, especially with what we've been saying, where the storytelling itself is not good enough and the direction that they've taken it in is not good enough because it's all good looking back for nostalgia, but you have to have quality there as well. And these films, some of them have quality, but also a lot of them do not have enough quality. And I think that is why we are seeing, you know, diminishing box office returns. But that's not to say that The Marvels is a bad film. We haven't seen it yet. We might really enjoy it. I think, honestly, where it sits in terms of good to bad MCU films, it's probably in the middle. I don't think it's one of the worst ones. That probably goes to Ant-Man, um, Quantumania. You're really against Ant-Man so aren't you? <laughs> Listen, like, as soon as I watched the trailer for that, and as soon as I Googled the budget, I just thought, no. <laughs> no. I get you. I get it. That, that's it. That's it. Educated. Educated response to that guess full respect to every every individual who's worked on it they probably worked extremely hard and i know that for example reports were coming out when ant-man quantumania came out and it bombed with critics uh reports were coming out that the writers for example were were really upset about that because they they put a lot of effort into it and they thought they made a good film but it unfortunately sometimes these things don't work out and i think 250 million dollar budget on that you can spend that money so much better not just in terms of films but on other things it's ridiculous yeah i I agree with you there it's just maybe they're trying to use the same strategy of looking backwards to possibly grow more in the future and that's essentially what we could see with video games recently as well as we mentioned literally previously fortnite just brought back the old map i think the season's called i believe og fortnite or fortnite og and you could see that their player base went from like they weren't even in the top five games on twitch i believe twitch still being the biggest platform for streamers and they've been first for a while now i believe it's their player base was what five million recently three million i believe the peak was 6.2 million yeah that's crazy and 
obviously would you would you say they would have had the same had they brought out a new map rather than the old map no no not at all it is a it is a case of stirring up nostalgia it's also an excellent example of marketing mm-hmm. and there is like i said earlier there is a desire for this you know fundamentally and this is a this is a horrible way to think of film and games they are a product now fortnite og is a good quality product some of the marvel films some of the recent marvel films are not a good quality product Agreed. and so in very simple terms you are going when you buy something you want it to be good now actually funny thing about fortnite is you don't even have to buy it it's free um so yeah and it's not it's not the only example recently where we have seen games looking backwards in order to move forwards you can take in 2019 with Call of duty modern warfare the first modern warfare came out in 2004 and 15 years later they took the brand name and they did something different with it yeah exactly now at the start that was going very well and from a sales perspective it's still going very well but of course if you've listened to our previous two podcasts or if you haven't listened to them now <laughs> uh we have many opinions on the latest Call of duty modern warfare 3 because that's an example of taking nostalgia and doing it completely wrong uh, yeah literally exactly so some, sometimes i guess it it's really tricky to be able to pull it off by basically going or just not doing an overkill with it like i believe with like for example fortnite i think they're only doing it for a limited time so i think it's just the maps there for a month um might be less than that yeah and that's quite that's quite smart because we've played it a few times and i'm not going to speak for you but personally i've really enjoyed it yeah so did i and what you do by making it available for a month is you create a hunger so you you release this season the og season for a month and then you take it away from people and they still have the hunger to play more and you sort of linger it over them um you never sort of release like a a release date to bring it back but you say oh we could do that because you've shown that you can do it and this comes back to the fact that it is a quality product and that is why that that is why people want to play it but also it's time limited right this is not a continuing timeline we know it's going to be here for a month and then it's gone yeah so it just comes down to them bringing a map which because as you said it's a matter of you just get back into it you play a few times you get you get the taste again and you want and then the map's gone so it's just a matter of them introducing something as good if not much better than everything they've done before to perhaps keep the player base as high as it is at the moment because i believe it's still relatively high maybe not as high as like five million but still relatively high compared to what they had perhaps a month ago two months ago i think from a numbers point they're really impressive um the overall player base on that on that first weekend i think was like 45 million which is incredible that's insane um and I was reading an article on Fortnite. It's a really interesting game because they're trying to branch out as a platform through Fortnite Creative where you have different games within the game. So Fortnite itself arguably is not a game. What Epic perceives Fortnite to be going forward is a platform. And on the Fortnite platform, you then play different games, whether they are created by Epic themselves or if they're created by certain game developers. And I think it was a Forbes article, but from my understanding, they're trying to push certain game developers to create new games on that Fortnite platform, which you can then market for free. And in return, 
Epic gives you a certain amount of money based on players. Now, this is quite complicated to get into, and I don't have the numbers in front of me, so I'd rather not get into it. But I just think that's something interesting um, to put out there that they perceive Fortnite as a platform rather than a game. Yeah, they they recently bought the Unreal Engine as well, which is used to create some Unreal Unreal game. And I think the for- Fortnite game itself should also be on Unreal Unreal Engine. And there's many other games like even COD, I believe, used to be on Unreal Engine at some point. And they've recently purchased that, like I think just over a year ago. So you could tell if they bring that and give the creators the option to use that engine, then as you said it's not just one game it can be many different games within that game well do you remember a few months ago i think it was some leaks on twitter or not even leaks just like some announcement posts which was showing what you could do with unreal engine 5 on fortnite yeah and it was yeah, really yeah. impressive it was like all the tools are not there yet but visually i mean it was insane it didn't look like fortnite at all like someone had built a cooler duty map in fortnite and it looked better than the cooler duty map on exactly. whatever game it was from so that's something that's really exciting i think and yeah i mean fair play to them that's uh, an example of a company who are looking forward to the future who are evolving you know yes they're looking backwards but they're also looking forwards at the same time. They're using that nostalgia in order to perpetuate momentum forward. And I think fair play to them. Um, I like what they're doing. Personally, I haven't explored the mini games and not even just mini games, but games within Fortnite. Uh, We have in the past used certain Fortnite creative modes, but in terms of games that have been made on Fortnite, we haven't played those before. But it's probably going to, it would be interesting to have a look at them actually, because I'm sure there's some really good ones out there. Yeah, yeah, there there must be. It's just, once again, that just comes down to the matter of, I think, some more advertising and people being open to try out other things within that game. Exactly. So should we move on to a small announcement on a game called GTA 6? Small announcement on a big game. That finally happened. They dropped that bombshell. That was, wasn't that base of a leak as well? That, well, there were the leaks last year. It was two British teenagers who had That's leaked crazy. footage. Um, I think the reason why they did it was there was an article that came out from quite a reputable um, publication. It came out that same morning. And I think probably they the reporter would have been in cahoots. He probably had a source in Rockstar. Um, and I think they probably felt, okay, now's the time to announce. You know, I think people... People have an inkling that this is going to happen, but let's do it on our own account. And so what they have said is in line with their 25th anniversary in December, they will be releasing a teaser trailer. So, Hmm. yeah, I'm looking forward to it. What do you think? Are you going to get this game? Are you excited? I I personally see I missed out on GTA GTA 5 somewhat. Like I didn't start playing online GTA 5 when it, at the start, we I just recently, not recently, but like maybe two, three years ago, I just started getting into it, which at that point you could say it was too late. Um, I am looking forward to it a lot because I think a game like that is missing at the moment. Like what GTA, like it's somewhat the most, it's one of the most unique games out there if you think about it. And it's the most basic game like you could think of, in my opinion, at least like, 
like shooting games, I can probably name 10. Like sports game, I can probably name 20. But like a game of just normal life and an open world normal life where you have this online online mode, you have the story mode. There's, I don't think there is any, any other game as big as GTA. And if there is, it's I personally never heard of it. I think you have heard of it, and I can't give you the numbers, but I have seen them. So GTA Five is the second best-selling game of all time. Um, and like you, I didn't get in at the start, and I feel like I know you have the same opinion. I feel like on GTA Five, you sort of had to be there at the start to really get into it, yeah, because there's so much content. But and this won't surprise you. You're probably going to say for fuck's sake, but the best-selling game of all time is called Minecraft. Oh, for fuck's sake. Minecraft has an advantage, though, so it is available to purchase on tablets and phones, whereas GTA Five is not. That's one thing, and also it's age restriction as well. That's true. But in terms of, like, GTA Six, I think we're both going to get it. It feels like quite a big cultural moment because this game has been in development for, I think, a decade now, or over a decade now. Yeah. Reportedly, it's going to be the most expensive entertainment product ever released. I think reports are saying the budget is one to two billion. Um, and I'm sure, well, I hope that includes the marketing budget. If that's just on development budget, then Jesus Christ. Um, but yeah, like I said, I think it's going to be a cultural moment. And actually, we're, we're probably going to enjoy it a lot more because we're going to get it the moment it comes out. I think they have an interesting opportunity here, which for us as consumers is not going to be good. But we never talk about video game prices. We did in terms of MW3 and how it wasn't worth it. But do you see an opportunity where Rockstar, say, release GTA 6 for £80 or £90? And then that that. pushes the industry standard for all AAA games up to £80, £90. That's a good point, actually. That's a really good point. One thing I'd like to say about GTA, and this I've heard from a friend who said, for example, with GTA 5, when they released it, just the money they made from in-game purchases, I think, covered the cost of the entire production within a week or two weeks. Like, the entire cost of that's the production incredible. was covered within a week, I believe. Uh, that's not to say the price... That's not to say the money they earned from just selling the game, the money they earned from just selling packs within a game. So, like, like online, car- online currency and stuff like that. Um one thing I'd say with this one is I think what GTA is going to do, or at least what I'm hoping they're going to do, is they're going to have that like 60, 60 pounds, 70 pounds. See, that's the thing though. Like 80 pounds, I think it's something normal right now. Because if you look at all these big games that are recently released, like what other games did we have? Uh, Diablo, Diablo 5. Well, we've had, yeah, Diablo, Diablo 4. Um, Modern Warfare 3, uh, Starfield, which was an Xbox exclusive. I just, I find it interesting because there was a CEO of a game company and I can't remember his name or the company, but it was in, it might have been in Forbes. And he recently said that ideally they should be charging $1 or 50 cents per hour of game time, which is an interesting Mm. way to look at it. Like think about how much we pay for film tickets Think about how much effort goes into games. Games have always been, even though they have a higher overall selling point, they've always been incredible value for money. And I think fundamentally, I think for studios, they are getting more expensive. 
um, when you have inflation and stuff, you have to pay pay your employees more. And I think this could be an opportunity for them to push up the price point. Not that we that we want that, and not that Rockstar will need it because this is one. This is as surefire a hit as you can get. This game will probably break records, and it will most certainly have an incredible amount of profit. So they're good in that department. But if they want to move the industry along to something that perhaps is better for studios and better for workers at studios, it is an interesting opportunity to think about. It is something that they could do. Yeah, yeah. So like one thing you're trying to say is like, is that something that they are actually going to do? Or is that just a suggestion of saying like per one hour of screen time or playtime they're going to charge? I just think, I just think, you know, I've heard, I've seen mumblings about it and I think it's something that will probably happen eventually. I don't think, I think we shouldn't be naive to think that video games are always going to be £65, £60 new release. I think eventually you're going to see them go up in price. That's, once again, that's that I, that I agree. It's understandable because as you mentioned, they are, if you look at them, value for money, they are very they're a good investment because first of all with a lot of video games like this you don't even necessarily need to do any in-game purchases like it's just tempting to do in-game purchases and it's just gonna make life easier for you but it's not necessary so and but you could tell there's people who actually obviously don't so yeah perhaps doing as you play because it's like pay as you go kind of which it's more fair but it's also i in order for that to happen, I expect like I expect like a different level of a game. Like I don't expect it to be just a game that's similar, slightly better, but say okay, just because we're GTA, just because we are, um, what's the comp- what's the company called? I forgot again. Rockstar. Rockstar. Just because we're Rockstar, we do this. It's yeah, I think it's a controversial topic, but they definitely are going to set a new standards when it comes to gaming in general. That's true. Just to answer one point there, you said it has to be something that stands out. And to that, I would just say GTA 6 is definitely a different game. It's something that stands out, you know? Yeah, yeah. See, one thing I'm kind of scared, I'm hoping they don't do what they did with Cyberpunk. So with Cyberpunk, what happened essentially was it was meant to be this great, great game, which it actually is. I believe you played it and then after they fixed all the issues with it you said this is genuinely a great game but it had so much hype around it which the developers were like they're kind of forced to release it sooner than they were meant to now obviously with rockstar it's been in what for like 10 years now or five six years they've been working on it so i'm hoping it's not a case of them releasing it sooner than they should just because of the demand yeah, that's a natural worry. And as a consumer, you should have that worry. It's understandable. I think, yeah, you're right. Cyberpunk, you know, post all the patches is actually a really good game. Is it the type of game that I would love to play? Um, not really, but the hours that I have put in, I have enjoyed. I think more so, and I don't know the facts about this, but I think more so the issue with Cyberpunk was they had promised certain release dates to investors and and certain quarters with projected uh, profit. And so they sort of, they had to release it at that time. And they had a really good public feeling. A lot of people, if you try and remember, a lot of people were thinking this might be the best game ever, which in hindsight is because they were like, it's GTA 5, but like in a cyberpunk world. And it's by the guys who made Witcher 3. Now, 
like we said, Cyberpunk now uh, is good, and it just had a recent DLC, which was very well reviewed. As far as I know, it sold very well. It had Idris Elba and Keanu Reeves in it, so a bit of movie star magic there. Um, but yeah, no, it's a it's a natural it's a natural worry to have. It's a natural worry to have. Them two are a good duo, actually. I'd, I'd like to see them in a movie together. That would be fantastic. They are both really good actors. Yeah, that'd be a good deal. Actually, I never thought about that. Are they? Do you know about this DLC? Are they like working together? Are they against each other? Well, this is see. This would require me to go quite deep into cyberpunk, the cyberpunk story. But what I will say is, Idris Elba plays a spy, and Keanu Reeves plays a man in your head. <laughs> okay, fair enough. That's yeah. understand. That's something. To be fair, video games have done recently where they have these big actors big actresses within the game to sell more do you think that's something rockstar is going to do with gta gta 6 the the thing is rockstar just don't need to do it but in terms of what you were saying with big actors i like it when it goes well yeah um and i can't think of examples where it hasn't gone well actually yeah that's true. i guess yeah i mean the most high profile one would probably be that i'm aware of would probably be keanu reeves in cyberpunk recently at least and it's turned out it's turned out well because it is still an acting performance it's motion capture but it's still an acting performance and he's very convincing as the character and you know why that game is good because it has a compelling and complex story unlike certain marvel films yeah i get what you mean so should we wrap this up yeah yeah let's do this before just tell me what you've been watching lately I recently finished a show called True Detective, which is about two detectives working on a grisly murder case, and it's set over two decades. And on one level, it is about the, the case itself, but on the other level, it is about this relationship dynamic and what's going on in their personal life. And also, yeah, what has happened to these individuals over 20 years, um, when I say True Detective, I mean season one with Matthew McConaughey and Woody Harrison. It's really good, and I would recommend it to anyone who has not seen it. Is that on Netflix? You? It is on Sky Atlantic. Okay, okay. With me, I'm dedicated on Young Children. Dedicated to Young Children at the moment. I'm telling you, that show is good. That show is really good. Besides from that, I've been watching YouTube videos on how to calculate the forces on a truss roof since that's taking a lot of my time so that has been fascinatingly fascinatingly boring any engineers out there any engineer is listening all help is welcomed with my open heart just saying just putting it out there just on young sheldon i believe it was announced it's going to end with season seven did you see yeah. that yeah 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 it was and it's understandable to be fair that's a normal amount of like what six seven season that's like with most sitcoms you have around that i don't know if you know that young sheldon is the childhood of one of the characters in big bang theory i do um I'm just thinking like how can you sit through seven seasons of a sitcom but listen a lot of people lo- a lot of people love sitcoms so I'm not going to shit on you for that. I've done that before with Modern Family and Brooklyn Nine-Nine, both of them. It's like with sitcoms, like I don't even like, I'm not necessarily even invested in the storyline. Like that's one good thing about a sitcom. With a, with a normal TV series, like if you watch it and if you miss 20 minutes of it, 
you're kind of lost with the show. But with a sitcom, you can just have it as the background noise. You can pay attention. You can do your thing. Yeah, you might not understand an episode fully, but that's fine. Next episode, there's something new. Well, I was going to say, yeah, it is background noise. But then I thought that's a bit harsh. It's more so like it's comfort television, isn't it? Would you describe yeah, exactly. it as that? Exactly. Yeah, comfort television. Yeah, that's that's a better way of saying it. Yeah, comfort television is better because, yeah, background noise is too harsh. You're right. I guess now would be a good time to watch Friends now that Matthew Perry has passed away. If you're ever going to watch it, it would be now. That is, yeah, I know someone who's watching it actually right now. Drop the name. Uh, it's my girlfriend. Yeah, she's watching it right now. But I think she's watching it for like third time. Oh, God. She's doing a you, but she is not doing Game of Thrones. Okay, come on. Game of Thrones up there. Greatest of all time very good show uh house of dragon also very good i think it's coming out next year really looking forward to that yeah yeah that that's oh yeah definitely yeah the second season by the way not the first season yeah of course of course all right man all right so i have been your co-host william code i'm your co-host arshia and thank you for listening to coffee hour see you on the next one take care